Take your Bibles now, open them up to Luke chapter 15, and uh, normally we have the scriptures on my right and left. We're not having that today, we're having some technical issues, and so if you don't have a Bible, get one right now. They're under your chairs, or they're on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will pass you one, someone will grab one, and they'll maybe just thump you on the head with one, and hey, you know what would be even more cool? You know what would even be more cool is if you brought your own Bible. If you own one, bring your Bible to church. I love the paper. Uh, Yesterday, I think it was, I was writing in my Bible, my daughter's seven. Evidently, she's never seen me write in my Bible, which is not true. Because it's like, what the heck? And she saw me, she's like, you can write in your Bible? I was like, heck, heck yeah, you read and you write and you just journal little pictures. I can imagine in her Bible, she's an artist. There's going to be pictures of unicorns everywhere. But uh, be that as it may, take your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to say one more prayer, and then we're going to get into the text. God, we thank you in Jesus' name that we get to study your word today. And I pray in Jesus' name for help in doing so. Help in two ways. Help for me as a teacher, Lord, to do good, to teach right, Lord, and have your power. And also help, Lord, to have ears that we might be students and listen and learn today and become different than when we arrived. Lord, God forbid that we would be hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And I pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, that you would settle in next to each and every one of us through your word expounded, through your church gathered, through your bride praying, through your body communing. We're doing these things because it's awesome and you've told us to. So we expect, Lord, you to use it to your glory, Lord, and to our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Well, I'll tell you what. Read verse 1 of Luke 15. We studied it last week. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. I like this verse a lot. The tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus. That's the rough and the tough and the gruff. And they heard Jesus and liked what he had to say. And so they got near to him. But not everyone liked that fact. Some of the more prideful, religious, pharisaical types. Look at verse 2. It says this, And the Pharisees and the scribes, they complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Two groups of people here. Pharisees and scribes, the religious guys. And another group of people, that is the sinners and the tax collectors. Both hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus loves the sinners and the tax collectors. Can I get an amen? amen? And he loves the Pharisees and the scribes. Can I get an amen in King James? Amen. You know, amen. <laughs> he loves them both, and he's hanging out with them all. And in order to illustrate this, verse 3 says this, and so he spoke this parable to them, saying, stop right there, eyes up here. Okay, I added that last part. He now tells them a parable, which is a story to illustrate a principle. And in this parable, there are three layers, three lines to one song, if you would. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All three in one, illustrating God's heart towards religious people and rebellious people. How God looks at you and how God looks at me, and more importantly, maybe how God looks at them. He loves them. He wants to be with them. And yet you and I, we have this proclivity to be in one ditch or the other any given time. You're either going to be a religious Pharisee, mad at everybody, judging people, able to see what they're doing wrong in their life. Isn't that easy? Isn't that why you go on Facebook to see what everyone else is doing wrong? Go on Facebook, like, wrong, wrong. I was going to like that, but it's wrong, 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 you know. And how many times on Facebook do you just want to report something? I'm going to report that, you know. Or there's another ditch that we find ourselves in, maybe even on the same day, which is not the religious, self-righteous group, but the rebellious group. 
the ones we make mistakes, we go off course. We do things we ought not to do. We go places we shouldn't go. We see things we shouldn't see, say things and hear things we shouldn't do. Anybody do that from time to time? You're a rebel, a lost sheep, a lost coin. And Jesus says, I want to just talk to both you guys. I want to get you out of the rebellious camp and I want to get you out of the religious camp. Listen, and onto the road of relationship. I just want to be with you. I just want to be there. And the religious Pharisees brought this accusation against Jesus that he received sinners in the rough, tough, and the gruff. I'll be honest with you, this is one of the main reasons why I love Lincoln County and Newport, because okay, there's a lot of rough, tough, and gruff people here, and I believe that their attention is geared towards the Lord, because they know that they haven't done right. They know they can't figure it out, and when Jesus extends his hand of love and fellowship, they're usually pretty willing to grab that hand. Can I get an Amen. The common people receive Jesus gladly. This is why we do hope in the park. This is why we go to the jail. I'm scheduled this week to go into the jail because there's a captive audience there. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> You'll get it later tonight if you didn't get that. But they're, they're just, they're willing. They want to receive. They really do. I do a little bit of traveling. Not much, but a little bit. Enough to whenever I'm gone, I'm glad to come back. I feel like a fish out of water in the valley or other states. I love here. Because I believe that, that there is an atmosphere of reception in the midst of the mess. There are plenty of religious people, but there's, in my opinion, even more rebellious people, people who veered. And God says, I love you all. I want to meet you right where you're at. I want to grab you and pull you together as a family. As a matter of fact, eight years ago, my wife and I were called to Newport. The anniversary of our moving here was 2010, so we're coming up on that in August. And I remember in May 2010, though, doing a vision trip here. Nobody knew we were going to move here, and we didn't even know if we wanted to move here. And so we took a vacation here, a little trip visit my parents, and I was driving around Newport for three hours straight, just kind of feeling and sensing what was going on. It was gray and foggy and dark and cloudy. And that was in my heart, not even outside, okay? That was... <laughs> That's just where I was, and it was a bad day, you know, and it was that way outside. I literally was like kind of vomiting and my, you know, throwing up a little bit. Not really, but like, and I had to repent. I was at the Nye Beach turnaround, and I was like, Lord, I don't know, man. This place is, you know, dark. And I said, I, I'll do it, though. I'll, I'll move here from Ashland. I've been in Ashland for 13 years. And I said, but Lord, I just, I just need, forgive me, I just need a sign, Give me a sign. I was coming up from the Nye Beach turnaround, and I stopped at the stop sign. And I looked to the left and right like you're supposed to. And as I prayed, Lord, just give me a sign. And on my right there on the wall was this sign made of garbage and driftwood and broken frames. It was an art studio, and it's all kind of just recycled material. And the sign said, regenerate. And as I said, Lord, just give me a sign, I saw that sign. I was like, whoa, there's one. <laughs> and I'm not messing with you. The Lord spoke to me. And he says, this is what I do, regenerate people. And then he went on. He said, and this is what this town needs, and this is what I'm going to do. He spoke that to my heart, and I pulled out my little phone at the time. I was like, I'll take a picture of that, you know, regenerate. And since then, I've seen God bring a regeneratedness to the hearts and minds and even the lives of the people of Lincoln County, little by little, here a little, there a little, and he's continuing to do this work. And I'm so encouraged, and I want to see this message today. Listen. Because Jesus brought his message, this message we're going to study today, but not just this message, but Jesus brought himself to a culture then, I'm just going to say it, that didn't need him in their own eyes. Did you know that the Jews were doing just fine? They had the sacrificial system. They had the temple. They had scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. They had all that. They had the whole thing figured out. And yet God up in heaven says, yeah, but you don't know me. 
you're not walking with me. You're so religious. And out here, we haven't even had fellowship. Remember what Jesus brought an accusation to the Pharisees at one point? He said, you search the scriptures daily, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of me. When you study the Bible, it's not to get more knowledge and no more stuff. When you study the Bible, when you fellowship, when you wake up, it's in order to have fellowship with me. And so Jesus drops onto planet Earth via Mary, the virgin, and lives a perfect life and then goes on his teaching ministry ultimately to die a sacrificial death to a group of religious people that really, in their own eyes, didn't need him. And yet I want you to understand with me that not only did the religious community need him so badly, but so did the rebel rousers, the weirdos, the rough, tough, and gruff ones. And Jesus made equal time and ample energy for both camps. And so when he gets in trouble for hanging out with the rough guys, he looks at the religious. and He said, let me tell you a parable. And he tells them of the sheep that was lost. And he says, and when that sheep is found, you know what heaven does? Ah, we party. We go crazy. Verse 7 says there's a party in heaven. There's so much joy in heaven when what happens? When one wandering sheep gets found. And then he goes on to tell the story of the woman who lost her coin and goes to find it. And when she finds it, there's joy, not just in her heart, but he says in heaven, ah, a party happens. Joy. Did you know that heaven is in the serious business of joy? Some of you religious people are like, amen, but not too much joy. <laughs> Gotta keep a handle on things, you know. And then Jesus shows up. He's like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Jesus loves to bring joy. And it's when people are found in fellowship, in redemption, in healing, in forgiveness, in deliverance, in an understanding that he brings. Let me just make a quick application. We're all kind of joy seekers. Like we love joy. You can use a different word if you want. Fun, uh, pleasure, uh, enjoyment. We just love, uh, some would call it hedonism. If you don't know what hedonism is, look it up later. It's self-love. Just make, I just want my life to be so fun. Did you know you can be a hedonistic Christian where you can actually pursue the things of God in order to find pleasure in life and it's right? You can also pursue the pleasures of this world in a hedonistic way and you'll end up, you know, somewhere outside of Vegas, you know, lost or somewhere, whatever. That's not, not a word from the Lord, just figure it out. But did you know that God wants you to have fun? He wants you to be full of pleasure in life abundantly he says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy i come that you might have life and life abundantly overflowing he says no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived the things i wanted to have that's what he says and yet you and i we have a choice to make every day well do i do i believe that is god really that fun or is he just this cosmic killjoy trying to mess with my playlist on my phone you know he's just trying to ride my case and i, I want to make the application here the Bible says in these two parables, the sheep and the coin, that when they're found, when they're saved, when, when they're rescued, party time. In the very final verse of today's portion, the prodigal son returns. The father explains to the older son who's mad about it. He says, it makes sense that we would be merry and sacrifice this fatted calf and have a barbecue. We will party when people get saved. We will have great joy when people find rightness with God. Now, I say that to say this. What are you doing right now in your life to find ecstasy, joy, purpose, and pleasure? There are so many other side avenues and trinkets and toys and experiences and careers and things that we could do that you hope and I wish would actually lead me to permanent and lasting joy. But if you bend down a road that promised joy only to get there and realize it's not full of joy, 
And you're like, well, maybe I should try it again. Maybe I should just give it another college go. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to try this experience or that thing again. Let me just tell you what it is. It's believing like Jesus that when you live for the purpose of heaven, that when you pray your prayers, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want heavenly things to happen in my life. I want to have a heavenly perspective in my marriage and in my parenting and in my job and in my life. Lord, I just kind of just tap into what you want and the Lord would look at you today and say, are you, are you sure? It's going to be nuts. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best thing you've ever done to go all in for me. Now, I've been on both sides. I've been a rebel. I've been a Pharisee. And I've also been in a relationship with Jesus. And he would say, stay focused on me. Redeem the things that are in your life for my glory. Did you know you can redeem just about anything you're dealing with right now in your life for God's glory? And I believe there's joy when you redeem your marriage or your parenting or your business or even your pleasure. On Friday, I was training at the CrossFit gym, a class there, and we had some drop-in people show up from Michigan. And so they were getting warmed up, and Penny Schultz was there getting ready for her workout as well. And so Penny Schultz knew they were drop-in people, and so she told them, ask Luke, the trainer, ask him what he really does for a living. Oh, you know. And so they said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And she was all excited. She goes, you guys should come to South Beach Church on Sunday. You know, and she was all fired up. And I was sitting there going, this is, this is awesome. Here's Penny Schultz, you know, you're here to get a workout and do CrossFit and all that, but she was on the grind to invite people to church, to make a connection, to see people come to the spot where the blessings come out, the fountain of living water. Now, I'm just going to say this one more time and I move on. You're going to leave here today and you've got your whole calendar set for the rest of August and maybe September, possibly even 2019. You already got some ideas and you're excited. Re whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. Redeem it, okay, for heaven. Run your business, take your vacation, buy your things, enjoy your stuff for God's glory. Include him in the story, okay? And you will find your life, like in this story, partious. It'll be awesome. It'll be celebratory. It'll be fun. But if you decide to become a rebel on this side and go after the pleasures of this world, or if you fail on this side, and just look to yourself and your own strengths, you'll miss out on the joy that is the Lord. Jesus speaks this parable to them in order that they might understand his love. Now, the third layer of the story we're gonna get into right now, it's in verse 11. Okay, we're gonna go through verse 11 all the way to verse 32, so you guys gotta put your helmets on and listen fast. We're doing it, we're doing it. You guys ready? If you're ready, say, we're ready. ready. We're ready, okay, the rest of you, too bad. Here we go, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Now, stop right there and just notice with me. He's telling one more story. He just keeps going. They're mad at him for hanging out with bad guys. So he tells a story about a man who has two sons. One of the sons is a bad guy, and the other son is a religious guy. He's not going to talk about the religious son, that is the older son, until right around verse 25. Okay? He's going to continue to develop the story about the rebel son. The rebel son who asks for his inheritance. You guys know the story of the prodigal son. He asks for his inheritance, and then he goes on a spending spree, a sinful lifestyle, finds himself where he ought not to be, and eventually humbles himself and comes home. That's not really the primary part of the story, but that's where we'll start, because God, I believe, sent his son Jesus to illustrate and to communicate to both camps. So before I even go, which camp are you primarily in? Again, we're in Lincoln County, so I'd imagine there's a bunch of rough, tough, and gruff people that you're at church this morning even, you're like, you said this was a warehouse, not a church. You lied to me, you know. Said they had free coffee, and they do. It's pretty good. I guess I'll stay, you know. And then there's another group of people that you're maybe on the religious side. 
you, you're, you're stoic and kind of serious. And maybe you were a rebel at one point and you jumped right over the road of relationship into the ditch of religiosity and now you study and you pray and you're good and you give and you serve but the Lord would have words for you today too and say, you know what, I miss both of you. I have two sons is what it says. Two sons, both of which I'm in fellowship with neither and God is after that restored fellowship. Look at verse 12. It says, and the younger of them, that's the idiot son. How many of you guys are the like, second born or the younger in your family? Idiots, raise your hand. I'm up, I, I, this is not by example, this is I am one, okay? Uh, praise God. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. Stop right there. What he's asking for is his inheritance before his dad is dead. This is quite offensive on every level. Dad, it would be actually better for me if you were dead. You're not dead, so can I just have the money? Like, I don't know what hurts more. You know, like, ouch, really? That's where it comes to? He's, he's making a huge mistake here. And so his dad exercising great grace, undeserved favor and support and unconditional love, looks at his son and gives him exactly what he's asking for, even though it's wrong. Can I just say something about having older children that do wrong things for you parents? When your older children, your younger children, they need to be disciplined and taught the right ways, okay? Hold them accountable, lead them in life. When they become older and start making foolish decisions, we learn from this father, he lets his son do what he wants to do. Not because it's right, but because he knows that's the only course for his elder or his son who is now old enough to make these decisions. Most parents are prone to coddle their rebellious kids and send them checks and bail them out. And I see that and each case needs to be handled separately and individually. But with great love, sometimes your kids just need to run. They call this bungee theology, where they run as far away as they can until they reach the extent of that bungee cord, and then come flying back. Pray about that. Here we go. Verse 13, and not many, oh man, he got his money. What's he going to do now? Invest it? Start a business? Open up a Starbucks there on the corner with his dad, you know, serving coffee. Nope. Verse 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, the word prodigal means wasteful expense. It doesn't even necessarily mean sinful, except in this context it is. Wasteful expense. Some would go so far as to say that the father becomes prodigal in this story as well, not in rebellion, but in the way he sacrifices the, the fatted calf for his son, gives him the jacket, gives him the ring, gives him some Nike Jordans, takes care of him in his prodigal waste towards his son. I believe it's true. Let's keep reading, though. He goes away, verse 14, but when he had spent all, now in the Greek, all means what? All, thank you. He spent it all. He's on his own now. Dad gave him his inheritance, and he goes where he ought not to go in the rebel camp, and he begins to then spend until it's all gone. Have you been there before? Am I the only one? <laughs> Couple other nodders. Shoot. It gets worse. It gets worse. But after, but when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a severe famine. What kind of timing is that? Right then, he's got nothing left to take care of himself, and then the whole community goes through a suffering. There's a famine. Everyone has to take care of themselves. Not only has he blown it, but now there's no resources to care for him in that way, and he began to be in want. Verse 14, terrifying verse. Spend it all in want, no help. Can I just warn you? This is what sin does 
every single time. It'll take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you are willing to pay every single time. You ever made a deal with the devil, don't say yes too loud? Or maybe a deal with your flesh. You're like, you know what, I know this is wrong, but I can afford it. I just got my father's inheritance. And so you make a bad deal. You look at something you shouldn't look at, and you listen to something, you partake. You, just, you do something. You, I, I know I shouldn't, but I've got a little bit stored up in me. I can handle it. <laughs> I, I laugh at myself because I have believed that lie more than once. I think I can handle sin. Sin is not handleable. It's like a rabid animal in your house. Imagine if a rabid animal, that is an animal with rabies, came into your house. And you thought, you know what? This, this rabid animal just needs love. This ra- you know what I'm saying? This rabies-crazed raccoon just needs a hug. We all need hugs. And you're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to win this raccoon to the Lord, you know? <laughs> Anyways, that's a weird illustration. <sighs> Let's keep going here. He says he spent it all. He begins to be in want. Now, what are you going to do now? Verse 14 could, like, it could be the end of the story. It gets worse, though. It gets worse, and it describes what's next to me. One of those verses, one of those scenes, you're like, did he really do that? Like, could you, could you imagine doing that? And yet, if you're as dumb as me, you have enough wreckage in your rearview mirror, enough instances on your file that you remember, and you might even ask yourself, did I really do that? And it wasn't one step into that area. It was many, many, many steps that got you to the next step of foolishness, of rebellion, where I, you might even say in your earlier days, I would never do that. I would never go there. I would never become this. And yet after a while you find, look what happens next in verse 15. It says, then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Stop right there, eyes up here. This Jewish boy now becomes a servant of a foreigner who sends him into the fields to feed swine. If you know anything about Jews in those days, they didn't have anything to do with pigs, nothing to do with swine. Now not only is this guy hanging out with the swine, but he's taking care of them. These are now his sheep. Instead of being a shepherd that's overseeing sheep, kind of cool, he's a shepherd that's overseeing pigs. He's like, I hope dad doesn't write me, you know, hope dad doesn't call, how's it going? I'm doing okay, all things considered, you know, hanging out with pigs. I would note one thing here. It says he joined himself with a foreigner. And what that literally means is a Gentile, somebody who didn't love God. He's already in a place he shouldn't be. He's done things he shouldn't have done. And then he begins to find himself hanging out with people he shouldn't hang out with. Don't raise your hands, but have you done this? Have you found yourself hanging with the wrong company? It won't be long. The Bible actually confirms that hanging with the wrong company will corrupt that good character. You'll eventually do things you ought not to do. I see this on Facebook from time to time. I have a lot of friends on Facebook, and I watch you guys. It helps me pray for you. And oftentimes, I'll see people on Facebook tagged with other people, like, oh, I'm with this character, with that individual, and I'm just kind of like, why are they with them? Is it ministry outreach, you know? Or are they trying to befriend a rabid raccoon? What's going on here? And oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes you can kind of just guess what's going to happen next because bad company corrupts good character. And I would just say this. He ends up eating pig food because he joined himself with a pig farmer. Careful who you're hanging out with. And maybe you even need to disassociate some of those things that are so negative for you right now. Not producing fruit. This is for you. Okay? I don't, it's not my, not my job. I remember when I was living at the Ashlander Apartments, P151, 
was the biggest party apartment in all of the Ashlander complex. And I'm pretty sure it was my fault. And one day I was being dropped off there by one of the pastors from the Ashland Christian Fellowship. I'd attended a Bible study and needed a ride home. My license was suspended. And he drove me there and he said, hey, can I come in there? I'm late now. My girlfriend's going to wonder where I'm at. Can I call her from your phone? This is in the days of landlines and all the rest. And, and I looked across the field and I could see in my house these hands raised through the curtains and kind of, it was like a house party was going on, you know. And, and he, he said, can I come in and use your phone? I was like, you know, Pastor Jeremy, No. You cannot for many reasons. And he's like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, just no, not today. And I was so convicted. And he began to then pray for me because I was with the wrong crew, going the wrong direction. And he had empathy and compassion on me. And he actually called me and pursued me and said, you know what you need to do? You need to move out of that house, bro. I was like, where would I move to? He said, you can live with me, okay? Small apartment. There's three guys there already. You can, you can live in my room. We'll get bunk beds. We'll figure it out. And he, he asked me to move in with him. It was a couple months later, we found another guy living in the wrong place. And we said, you can come live with us. And he lived with us in this room also. Adam Pearson and Jeremy Haskell and Zane McCourtney, all guys that went on to the ministry, all people that love Jesus. And I'll tell you what though, he had the insight and the foresight and the ministry mind to invite me out of my situation. You might today even just have to take a little inventory and say, what am I doing? Well, I would never go there. I hope not. I pray so, but I have done things, found myself places that I am still hurt over today. Still bear the emotional and spiritual baggage and scars. And I would pray that God would save you from making similar mistakes that I and this younger brother made. Look what happens next. Verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. This guy's now feeding the pigs, like throwing them one for you, one for you. Ah, maybe I should take one for me. And he's wanting pig food. He's like eating this. Like I could dig a pulled pork sandwich, but you eat the pulled pork sandwich's food. You've gone off the rails. You're in the wrong place. This guy's trying to eat pig food. Look what happens next. Verse 17. And this again, there's a lot of favorite verses here. This is one of them. But when he came to himself, I have that circled. This is an aha moment preachers and pastors and ministry people like me, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas like you, friends and family like us, we pray for our wayward people to have this moment. This is the moment when I go into the jails, when I'm doing a marital counseling, when I'm helping somebody out, when this moment happens, when somebody comes to themselves, oh, church bells ring. Yeah, all of heaven begins to crank up the barbecue. And can I just say, if you have somebody in your life right now that's just a knucklehead, Okay, or maybe even a religious person. Just pray for them to come to themselves. It took Nebuchadnezzar seven years. Seven years of eating grass and being a weirdo. The Bible says in Daniel chapter four that one day he just looked up and he remembered that the Lord had done all of this and his sanity was restored to him and his kingdom. And I remember when I came to myself, it was actually in the winter of 1998. And my life had fallen apart. Been arrested, sentenced to jail all kinds of things that shouldn't happen to a homeschooled Christian boy. I knew that. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pig food everywhere. What's going on? And I began to repent. And I remember I called my mom, Arla Frechette, right around November, early December. I said, mom, I, I can't wait to come home. I just want to meet with you and dad. I got some things I got to get off my chest, some things I need to confess. I'm trying to get my life right with God. Your prayers have worked. I'm coming back. No more drugs, no more alcohol. I'm, get, I'm getting my life right 
And that's still my prayer. When that happens to a man or to a woman or to a young person or an older person, dude, it's ready to party. This guy begins to give his journey home. Look at what he does first. Look at verse 18. Or verse 17, let's let's finish it. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I know what I'll do. Verse 18, I'll rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Stop right there, eyes up here. I need you to notice something here though, rebels. He begins his journey home and he formulates his repentance speech. You ever done that before? Here's what I'll say. Oh, I'm so stupid, you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've, I've rehearsed so many repentance speeches, you know, to people I've offended. He says, here's what I'm gonna say to my dad. I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. I don't even, I don't even want to be your son anymore. I just wanna work for you. Now, before he went to his dad, the first proposition was, dad, I am your son. Give me my stuff. Now he's saying, you know what? I'm not even gonna claim that. I don't want anything you have. I actually wanna serve you. Let me just say something about a real developed, authentic repentance in Christianity is when you change your mindset of who God is and instead of saying, give me the goods, you surrender and say, let me just serve you. Let me serve you in your kingdom. I don't want the stuff and the stuff may come. I'll get a full belly, but I really just wanna serve you. And this might take a few knocks, school of hard knocks, and you realize, because there's a whole theology out there that says, give me the goods, isn't there? There's TV evangelists and whole programs dedicated to getting everything now. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give and I would just say a real Christian is going to have within them, noticeably, a heart's desire to serve. Lord, it's not about what I get. I just, I just want to serve you. As a matter of fact, in the winter of 1998, I was reading 1 Peter chapter four and in 1 Peter chapter four, it talks about serving God to the point of suffering. And when I read that, I said, no way. You can actually suffer while serving God. And I began to pray, literally. I was like, Lord, I wanna suffer for you. I wanna serve you. I've served myself selfishly so much. I wanna suffer for you. And the Lord spoke to me right then. He said, then spit that dip out of your lip. That's what he said to me. And I was, like, I was like, what do you mean? I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 4 with a dip in my mouth. Can I be honest with you guys? It's okay. He said, spit that dip out of your lip and take that pack of camel wides out of your pocket and don't touch either one of them ever again. And you'll begin to suffer for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wasn't laughing. I was actually fired up. I was like, oh, that's crazy. I got excited. And I took him out, got that dip out and made a shrine on my TV there. I said, I'm not going to touch those things again. I'm going to go nuts in my head because it's going to be, you know, but I'm going to do it for you, God. And I began to suffer. Anyways, the Lord will show you what it means to serve him. Wouldn't that be awesome? You see, there's so many opportunities to serve, whether it be Sunday school here or going to Spain or Hope in the Park or, or giving of your time or your talent and treasure. But I believe it's going to be seen in a real restored believer's heart where I'm not perfect, I can get in either ditch at any given time. I'm still a work in progress. But my foundational heart's desire, I just want to serve my king. I just want to serve my father. He's been so good to me. Lord, would you forgive me and make my life useful today? That might even be your prayer today. Lord, yeah, make me a servant. I could, I could preach a whole sermon on God's gifts and the things he offers. Who wants God's gifts and what he offers? And no dummy in here should not raise your hand. 
But to ask the question, who wants to serve the Lord? I believe then is the pathway into receiving what God has. And we're going to see just that. So look what happens in verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. Oh, it's good news. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. What could happen next? And he had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, my. Look, look what happens next. He, he tries to repent. And I believe he did but not to the extent he wanted to because the grace met him so heavily. He had his whole speech. Here's what I'm gonna do, dad. I'm gonna not be your son. I'll just be a servant. The dad shut him up. Look at what happens. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I believe you would keep going. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and on his hand and say, on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. What in the world is going on? This guy still smells like pig feces. And the father sees him and runs and falls on his neck and kisses him with compassion. Maybe even muffles his repentance. You know. Did you know that in that day, Deuteronomy makes provision, the law, for a rebel son to be killed on the spot when he returns? Did you know that the elders of that community actually had within their judicial rights to stone that boy when he showed up? It could, the, the father could have as well in that day. And I believe him covering, throwing a robe on, a ring, shoes, and the fatted calf, he's saying no. Love covers sin. Love is greater than the law. He did sin. He smelled like poo. He was malnourished, to say the least. And so what's the father do? Get the best robe for him. Whose robe is the best robe, just so you know? It's the father's. You know, the best robe is the father's robe. Get, not the, get my best robe and put that on him. Did you know that you and I who are rebels and have repented are clothed in a robe of Christ's righteousness? Do you even believe that? You're, you're clothed in it. Not, you stink so bad, you need to be clothed in him. And not just that, he says, give him the ring, the family ring. What would this imply? This would be a signet ring. This would be a ring of authority. When people saw that ring, they'd say, whoa, you're in partnership with your father? You guys are like equal and unilaterally connected? Can I just say this? Not only are you robed in his righteousness, right now if you're a Christian here that has gone away, but you know the father's love, did you know that he's made you an ambassador of Christ? You're in partnership right now with Jesus Christ. When I go to the jail this week, I can go there and represent the King of Kings. Not because I've done right, but because I've got his ring, if you would. So too with you. There's people right now, you, you still hear the excuses go through your head. I can't share with that person, or I can't minister at that soup kitchen, or I can't pray for this individual because my life's not completely right. I still smell like pig poo. You're covered. I don't know enough. I don't have enough authority. I haven't read the book of Romans. I can't necessarily teach anybody anything. Not true. What if you started to exercise that? Like, like Penny Schultz, if you would. Start inviting people to church. People you don't even know. People you'll never see again. Kind of easy. You know, I'm going to start to reach out to people. And he puts these shoes on him. Servants wouldn't wear shoes. He said, you're not a servant anymore. You're here to serve. You're my son. And by my son, you will serve. But right now, you're my son. Shoes. And then the fatted calf, which to me is just the superfluous meal. How much food did he need? Enough to replace what he had lost and enough to sustain what he needed? Fatted calf ought to do. 
How's your journey looking? You scared? Is there enough grace for the past, enough grace for the future? The answer is yes. He has given you enough, and he wants you to be bold, robed, clothed, prepared. Look what happens next. He gives this report, verse 24. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found, and they began to be merry. I love verse 24. This, again, is what I see at every Sunday service here at South Beach Church. And as I go to Fred Myers and as I go to the jail, I see people who are dead and are now alive, lost, now found, and there is a merriment on their face. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And I, I see God doing this. Regenerate. This is what he wants to do. This is his heart. And if you're here today and you're like religious, like, well, I don't know if I like all that. Or maybe you're a rebel over here. Well, I don't know if he really knows what I've done. And he paints these extreme pictures and says, guys, I'm going to come to that group, the rebels and the righteous and the self-righteous. I got room for everybody, both sons, the elder son and the younger son. He wants them both there. Look what happens in verse 25. It says, now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, you know it's a party when you can actually hear the dancing. You ever been to a party where you can hear the music and the dancing? Like, dude, this is a party. And this son is in the field working. He's the religious guy. He's not strayed. He's been righteous, and he's doing what we would say is religious things. He hears this party. Look what his response. So he called to one of the servants, verse 26, and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, hey, your brother's come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf, man. Your father's hanging out now with the rough, tough, and gruff. How does this stroke you as the older brother? He's doing what? The fatted calf? Like the fatted calf? The father? The younger son, they're all together as one. Do you not see what I was doing over here? I was working pretty hard. I got up early. I stay up late. I work hard. And they're having a party. Now, again, it would be real easy in an environment like this to pick on other religions. And I've kind of just went through my Rolodex of other groups of people. I can kind of understand what they do in the name of religion. And I could see a lack of joy in their own hearts and eyes. And I could develop some pictures for you and we could pick on other people. I don't think that's going to be helpful for us though. I think each one of us need to look at the religious person in us that sees another church do something fun or be blessed. And we don't believe it. Or we see an author or somebody or a Christian or maybe a, an ex-spouse or a rebel get blessed and move forward. And we think... It's not real. There's no way. Maybe you go on Facebook and see somebody post a family photo and yet you know the real backstory. And instead of liking it, you just kind of want to report it. You know what I'm saying? Because you're the older brother. And you can see and you're like, I don't know. There's no barbecue for you. And the reason is because you're on this side contrasting and comparing, doing your work and your labor and you fail to see that a person is being blessed and that God loves that. Look what happens in verse 28. This again may be my favorite. It says, but he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. This is what we see here in Jesus. The religious guy wouldn't go in. He's like, I'm not going in. It's like, dude, your brother's back. That's kind of cool. The fatted calf, like, that's going to be so tasty. You know, they didn't eat meat in that culture very often. It just wasn't there. This would have been like a feast. And he's 
arms crossed, not going in. So what does the dad do? I'll go out there and talk him in. I love my older son too. I love you both. Guys, I'm not picking camps here. I love you guys. This is why I'm here. This is why Jesus came. And he pleads with them, verse 29. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted cow, you know. And the father replies, and he said to him, son, I like that, son. This is to the religious guy, son, son. Maybe they, I wonder when the last time they talked was. The reason I say that is because the older son had been working the whole time, being religious and studious and and right, doing the right things with the wrong motive. And he even says, dad, I've never transgressed you. I've always been faithful. And he's like, you never even threw a party for me, dad. And I wonder if it's because the dad might then say, you never asked. You never asked for a party. You didn't enjoy me. You enjoyed your position. You enjoyed your pride, your power. You never enjoyed me. And son, now we're having a party and you're welcome to this party as well. Verse 31, he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. And it was right, verse 32, that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Most of us know this story as the prodigal son. But I believe that there's not just one son we focus on, and maybe not even two, but three. The older brother. This story was primarily told to older brothers, the Pharisees. Jesus gave this parable, this three-layer parable, to that group. The rebels, the dirty ones, the rough, tough, gruff, they heard it as well. But the Pharisees, they had to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? The sinners receive him well. And here's the big idea. Here's the real big idea. Here's the biggest idea. Are you enjoying who the Father is and what he gives to you in his presence? If you're religious, you probably aren't. If you're rebellious, I know you aren't. And he would implore both camps. Guys, I love you. I've provided everything for you. Stick with me. And so if religion is getting in your way and you don't know the Father because it's all horizontal rules and regulations, God would call you to himself and say, let's party. Or if you have been distanced from the Father's love because of your own mistakes, your foolishness, you're doing things right now that you promised yourself as a young person you would never do, yet somehow you're doing them. Today you need to repent. Both groups need to repent. It's really easy to call uh, the rough, tough, gruff group to repentance, isn't it? Because they smell like pigs. It's easy. I think it's an even bigger miracle when the religious community has that aha moment and they realize I'm better than most. But that's not what God's looking for. He wants a relationship with him. And I need to repent of my own religiosity. It makes sense that they would marry together. I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads and we're gonna have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song. And we're gonna take communion together as well. And I'll tell you what, this is the time where God would move upon your hearts. And I've asked you a number of times already today which camp you're in. If you're in the rebellious camp, Or if you're in the self-righteous camp. 
And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would just settle into us right now and search our hearts. And whatever it is that's getting in the way of our fellowship with you, our sweetness with the Father, Lord, each story ended in joy. Lord, the sheep being found, there was joy in heaven. The coin being found, there was joy in heaven. The sun returning, there was joy at the ranch. But I thank you that you've given us pleasure sensors and joy. We can identify with that. We know what that's like. And I thank you, Lord, that when that's not met, that we know it. And maybe you're here this morning, right now. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I'm here. Maybe the Holy Spirit's already revealed to you why you don't have that joy. What's gotten in the way? Maybe it's something in your rebelness, something in your waywardness, something in your pigginess. Or maybe you would be so bold to say, you know what, I am just a cantankerous, judgmental, self-righteous, older brother. I'm just a jerk. If Jesus were to be on the streets loving people, I'd probably just be on the wall with my arms crossed watching. I wouldn't even enjoy it. I'm sorry. What's wrong with me? Or maybe you would be the one who say, if Jesus was here doing stuff, you would be on the on the wall in your rebel ways, doing stuff you shouldn't do and living a, uh, living in ways you know you shouldn't. And you might say today, what am I doing? What am I doing? And like this son, you have this aha moment where you come to yourself and you say, what am I doing? God forbid that it have to go to a famine to you losing everything, to there be nothing for you. You don't need the pain to increase for you to learn a lesson. It can be today. As the prodigal son began to formulate his plan, he said, I'm going to rise up and go. I'm going to rise up and go. I'm going to rise up and go to my father's house. And I'm going to be a servant. And if you would be bold enough, I'm not going to have anybody come forward. But if you're a rebel and you just you need to rise up and go back to the Father, whatever it is you've been doing, you know it's wrong. Don't, don't stay there. Don't eat. Don't wait till tomorrow. You don't want another pig food sandwich. Or maybe you're religious, haughty. You're not, you're not like Jesus at all. But you think you, you, you thought you were. You thought he was proud of you in some way or maybe you're just proud of yourself and you're like, I want to be like Jesus. I'm just going to ask you right now to, to, to stand right where you're at. All eyes are closed. This is between you and the Lord. I want you to just have this moment. Stand up right where you're at. Stand up, you rebels, and say, Lord, would you just cleanse me? Stand up. That, that moment for him, stand up right where you're at. Yes. Amen. Praise you. Stand up, you Pharisees, religious people. You're just so stoic. You're so mad. You don't know why. It's because you're an older brother. You need to stand up and say, Lord, just make me more like you. There are people standing up everywhere. People standing up. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you another, another minute, another 30 seconds. The Lord loves you. When he sees you, his compassion for you fails not. In that culture, a man would never run. Yet in this story, this man runs to shower his son with love. Nowhere in the scriptures does it ever show God in a hurry, ever, except this story alone. 
God is in a hurry to forgive you. Would you stand right now if you need forgiveness? Stand right now. He is for you, not against you. He is standing on the porch daily, praying, hoping for your return. In your shame, in your pig slop, in all that you've done wrong, he wants to cover you with his robe, give you his ring, give you shoes, give you strength. He'll run to you right now. Stand right now. Father, for those who are standing, in Jesus' name, Lord, there's dozens. It's not too late. Join these rebel. Join them. Religious person. Just do it. Say, Lord, would you just take my life over? I think I got it right, but I, I think I might got it wrong. Lord, would you have mercy on us? Your table of communion. We're about to partake. Shows us the extent of your grace and goodness, Lord. Blood poured, body broken. And I pray your mercy upon my friends. And if you're here, you're standing. Could you just raise up your hands, actually, just a little bit? If you're standing already, just raise up your hands. Or we just pray for cleansing. We just surrender. We surrender. We surrender to you in Jesus' name, Lord, asking that you would forgive us of our sins, whether we've been prideful and righteous or we've been a prodigal and sinful. And Lord, we know that it's for us, that you're for us, Lord. The barbecue's already rolling. The sacrifice has already been paid. And Lord, I thank you. We thank you. We honor you and we worship you, Lord. May you take these who stood, Lord, these rebels and these righteous, Lord, in their own eyes and forgive them in Jesus' name and make them closer to you, Lord. Those who would desire to be servants in your house, to serve what you're doing, you can put your hands down. And I'm just going to ask everyone to stand up. Eyes are still closed. Everyone stand up and join this. Everyone stand up. Lord, we stand now in all of you. And all we can say in the year 2018, August, whatever, here we are, we're doing our best. But Lord, we look back 2,000 years ago at this story and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your undying love, your unfailing commitment to us. Lord, there are some renegades here this morning. And you love them. There's some sinful, righteous, prideful people and you love them. Bless us as we come to the table now, Lord. May we be so overwhelmed at your goodness for us. We thank you for what you've done. We expect you to do greater things because that's what you do. We volunteer. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...